Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. We are going to be talking today about the powerful work of reparenting or remothering ourselves and learning how to set healthy, respectful, compassionate boundaries. And I'm so excited to have a partner in this conversation my wonderful guest who's going to be sharing all of her expertise with us. So please welcome Amelia Mora Mars to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Laura. I really love, I'm very passionate about this topic. So I am a mother of 10. I always say that's my first role, my most important job on the planet. Ooh, 10. (laughs) Can we all just have a moment of silence for 10? (laughs) So I have six daughters and four sons, and they range from the ages of 30 to 15. And I am a psychotherapist in Westlake Village, California, and I coach women who were raised by emotionally unavailable moms. And my joy is to help them find their lives back together and fall in love with themselves. Mm. Oh, my gosh. That's what we're all about here. You know, understanding that this hard job of parenting is a beautiful opportunity to find ourselves, connect with ourselves, love ourselves more fully as we love our children. Oh, I love it. I'm so excited to talk with you about this. Okay, so tell me a little bit about remothering and what some signs are that you might need to remother yourself. And also, is it something that, you know, most of my listeners are women, but men can need remothering too, right? Yes, absolutely. So most women, they start to notice probably really new all along that maybe mom wasn't emotionally available for them. And it could be for a lot of different reasons. It could be that she was just a busy woman and, or a single mother and she just wasn't physically present there. It could be a woman who had mental illness and that's really the case of my life. I had a mom with mental illness and a furious, furious temper. And mm. so I was very much afraid of her. And so I learned to take care of myself and my siblings and to keep the environment as calm as possible and as trigger free as possible to, you know, <laughs> calmer for others. It was maybe she had a physical ailment and she was there, but there's so much focus on herself or a child, another child that maybe had special needs or something, or maybe she had a significant other or spouse that she was trying to keep calm. Mm. You know, so 
spent so much focus or energy on him, but these children go feeling as though mom wasn't available. And so some of the signs is just feeling lost and lonely. Some women describe feeling like they have a hole in their heart. They feel they have difficulty making decisions because if I wasn't mentored or coached or modeled it, how would I know? Some women have anger or resentment, and that shows up a level of sadness and really noticing that they've been alone for a lot of their lives and wanting more and not knowing how oftentimes, just not knowing how to connect. So having a lack of boundaries, you know, learning to be people pleasers, to be aware of other people's needs. I had one woman tell me that when her mother came home from work, here she's an elementary school child and she would make her mom a martini. Mm. You know, that's a job that's inappropriate for a child. But children will do what they need to do to feel loved. And a lot of times that's pouring outward and having a life where they're rescuing, pouring out and not receiving as much. So there comes awareness. And again, they might've had it all along. Then they might be ready to acknowledge that, gosh, what I've been missing most of my life is me. Mm. I've been missing most of my life from my life because it's been other centered and centered on other people. Other centered and centered on other people. So then how do we go about looking within and finding our center within ourselves? Well, I think it starts with that that awareness and being honest and saying, you know, enough is enough. You know, part of my passion and my crusade and my advocacy is, is I refuse to allow people, allow women to go through this alone. We need women who fight for us. And I know when I went through this process, it's like wanting to know, well, who are the safe people in the world? I know who the unsafe people are, but where are the safe people in the world? So my program, I call it Moms Breaking the Cycle, starts with the attachment and becoming aware of their attachment style, their connection style. Because a lot of times it makes sense. We could be so hard on ourselves, but when you look at what happened to you, of course, you might be anxious and clingy and insecure and afraid that someone's going to leave you. Of course. You might be the opposite. You might be that person who has difficulty trusting and difficulty with affection and saying, I love you, because that wasn't there for you. So having that understanding that, yes, it's okay that you're here. And of course you're here. And we're in this together. And then that's where the the self-love and compassion can start. Because I feel like self-love is the balm that heals the soul Mm. and we need to just sit in that place because we've been giving and giving and giving and oftentimes have these critical voices to ourselves and so giving ourselves space in the sacred place to finally say you know what this is my time this is my time to heal my heart and part of that process is having healthy boundaries those healthy boundaries it's going to protect us keep the bad out and the good in yeah okay let's talk a little bit about boundaries because i think we all are in the place of figuring out what our boundaries are and i really liked how you just said that keep the bad out and the good in so tell me a little bit about how boundaries fit in with this work yes well back to that people pleasing right a lot of times we just say yes or acquiesce or do or perform we're so afraid that someone's gonna love that leave us right that sense of abandonment you've been abandoned already right it's terrifying so i have an image of a house 
and I say that this is houses um, has unhealthy boundaries. And inside the house, I have words like fear, insecurity, abuse, silence. You know, all those words where we feel like we can't step up and really be ourselves. And if that's your norm, living in a home where you have to be silenced and careful and walking on eggshells and, you know, you're afraid, then it's like the negatives inside the house and the bads on the outside or the goods on the outside. And it's hard to reach. It's hard to reach that. If you have the opposite, if you have a home where there's love and security and a sense of belonging and joy and, you know, you, know, you, you can relax and, and just feel like you're seen and soothed and safe and secure, like Dr. Daniel Siegel talks about, those people can feel the difference and they might recognize someone that's unsafe approaching them because they've had an environment of safety and parents who fight for them and advocate for them. But if you don't have that, one of my sayings I say is you could be dancing with the devil with your dresses on fire, but you might be talking yourself out of it. Well, he, he seems nice. Well, he, he seemed charming. Well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, you talk yourself mm-hmm. out of experiences when the signs have been there all along. Yeah. So you don't even know. So especially if boundaries protects us. Yeah. And especially too, if those things feel familiar, I think often we go for what feels familiar, which leads us to repeat and perpetuate patterns, the patterns that we're used to, right? Absolutely. It's that norm that's not normal. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. But what we think is normal, what our experience tells us is that this is what love feels like. This is what a family feels like. This is what a home feels like. And so we go out into the world and unconsciously recreate patterns. Okay. Yeah. And so then how does the healing start to happen then in the like now we're becoming aware we're noticing some patterns we're noticing you know that we're quite hard on ourselves we're noticing that it feels almost you know lots of the folks that I work with who are trying on self-compassion who are dabbling in self-compassion it is very hard because they feel so unworthy of it I don't know if you experience that with the folks that you're teaching self-love and compassion to absolutely to say no to someone in order to say yes to ourselves is it's very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. But, um, but like every practice, every practice that we're trying to better ourselves in, whether it's exercise or the way we eat or the way we treat ourselves, it's just continually doing it, even when it's uncomfortable. Mm. You know, it's just that repetitive and that reminders of ourselves. And I think that's why being in a tribe and having that support in the work you do and the work that I do, it's like we need that to provide a sense of safety and to encourage and celebrate and have these wins and to admit when we're, we struggled and we didn't do it. We didn't quite do it today. Yeah. Oh, I think so too. I think we all need the support of a community who's committed to doing this work and committed to walking that path with compassion and empathy, you know, that we are not, you know, repeating patterns or perpetuating patterns of shame and blame and guilt and criticism that we received growing up with ourselves as we look to make changes. It's it's always so interesting that many parents who come to me who are looking to make changes in their parenting use the same language with themselves that they're trying to get out of their parenting vocabulary with themselves inside, you know, so the same, they they don't want to criticize their kids, they don't want to punish their kids, but they criticize and punish themselves, you know? Yeah, all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
So then that speaks to me about of remothering. That's what remothering is to me, cultivating a wise inner mother who meets me with compassion, who meets me with unconditional love and acceptance that I deserved from the moment I was born, that we all come out of the womb deserving, right? That love, that compassion, that acceptance, kindness, grace, and cultivating within me that wise inner mother. And then, is that how you see it? I, this is the vision that I have inside myself. Oh, oh absolutely. That's right. More stuff with that love and that generosity that we so freely give up the <laughs> internalizing it. Yeah. So I think a question that probably people who are listening to this are thinking right now is, okay, but how? What does that sound like? What does it look like in the moment with my kids when I'm about to lose it, when I'm about to yell, or when I feel run down, overwhelmed, stressed out? Like, how do I actually do this in the moment, in the midst of parenting? So if if you imagine that you're at the beach and it's just a gorgeous day and the water's perfect, the breeze is, is fabulous, you're with the people that you love, your basket is full of delicious food and great beverages and the music is on. It's just beautiful. And then all of a sudden you hear the shark, the Jaws music in the background, right? All of a sudden <laughs> your experience has been hijacked and it's no longer safe. And that's kind of like what triggers happen to us. So that's why it's so important for us in that moment to, again, go back to what I said about the attachment style. Of course, in this way, this is what just happened to me, but I don't need to act out on it. There's people that I love. And I always think in terms of beginning with the end in mind. And I focused that on that a lot, even when I was pregnant, because I was so, so afraid of being a mom. I always thought that being a mom was my greatest fear. But then I realized not doing something because of fear was my greatest fear. I mean, throughout my pregnancy, when women are just so, so excited, I was so, so fearful. Mm. And I would really use my mind to dream about and to focus on what is it that I wanted? What was it that I didn't receive? And what is it that I want to become as a mom? And have that so seared in my mind that when those moments of triggers would happen, I could rely on that. And so it is not easy, right? We have to do Mm -hmm. things over and over again, right? And that's why we need this tribe to reinforce us and to love us because we will lose it. And then those, again, are those opportunities to forgive ourselves, to love ourselves and that we're going. And I always start every morning saying to myself, how can I grow today? Mm. How can I grow today? I want my day to start with an intention of focus on you know, looking at the big picture, how do I want to grow today? I don't jump out of bed and forget about those things because I, I recognize that with intention, it's really our intention and what we want out of the day and out of our lives. And, you know, I tell women that every woman, every mother, I'll say, stands on the bridge between the past and the future. Every one of us, and it's only in the present that we change our future and our generations. So it's the present, right? Mm. We focusing on the past isn't good. You know, we can draw information from that, but it's in the present. And those little opportunities with our children provide those those moments of change. And as my children got older, I would share more and more my story so they understood 
where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we're all in that place, but we're trying to be better mothers. And their understanding is really helpful. Yeah, something that I really like that you've been saying all along in this, in our chat together, is that this idea that it makes sense that this would be our initial reaction, that this would be the way we would take something, that this would be the way we react to whatever our kids are doing. It makes sense. Of course. I really like that. Of course, that's how it would be. Of course, that's how we think about it. Of course. I really like that. Like that feels so good and compassionate. I say those things to myself all the time when I like discover a reactive moment or an opportunity where I can be kind to myself. This is how I think about my parenting mistakes. I don't know if you do this, but I I think about every time I screw up as an opportunity to practice being kind to myself. Like, and this is not just for parenting, this is for everything. Anytime an attachment system is activated, you know, your attachment, like coding or patterns are activated, it makes sense that you would react this way. It makes sense you would think about it this way. It makes sense that that's the story you would tell yourself. And we're going to choose a different story. We're going to choose to think a different way. We're going to choose to see it a different way. And I really love how you're talking about having that intention as a guide. This kind of the outcome, the future vision being your guide in the choosing process, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about this memory that I have that my my twins were in kindergarten and they played with this little girl. And this little girl was sick and she just wasn't getting better. And the parents discovered that she had leukemia. And I remember hearing that. And intellectually, I felt really sad. Like, oh my goodness, this is so sad. This must be so horrible. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. And that scared me as a young mom. I felt so disconnected to my emotions. And I remember realizing that being so disconnected to my emotions as a child worked for me. Yeah. You know, it's that way of, well, I thought, you know, of, of protecting myself. But here I am, a grown adult and a mother, and I was afraid to connect to those emotions because that meant I would really feel. That means I could really grieve and I could really cry and I could really be sad. But the flip side of it, if, if I didn't, Jeez, that I would stay like this. I felt like this part of my heart was dormant, like it fell asleep. And I needed to wake it up because it scared me and I wanted to be emotionally present. And that's just was for me one of those moments of realization of, oh my goodness, this is what has happened to me. Um, This is where I went silent and quiet and I need to make a choice. I need to make a choice for me. I need to make a choice for my children. And I'm scared because I'm afraid of feeling, but I'm also afraid of not feeling and being in this space. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think we've probably all had those moments of awareness and awakening of the work that's ahead of us and a little bit of trepidation as we move into that path. And I think our kids are so good at giving us those opportunities, you know, the way, this, the beautiful ways they trigger us, the ways they activate within us all of our <laughs> old scripts and wounds. They're so good at it. <laughs> there are beautiful partners in this, right? And I love the way that you see that because I see them as little mirrors, right? They're reflecting back what they see, their experience in us. And if their little faces, their little faces show fear or, you know, any kind of negative emotion, it, it reflects back to us like, oh my goodness, this is an opportunity to change. 
Yeah, an opportunity to change, an opportunity for awareness, for noticing. And it always starts, right, with noticing awareness. And sometimes that awareness comes afterwards. You know, it comes a few minutes, a few hours, even a couple days afterwards. Like, oh, oh, yeah, I was triggered there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was in a story there. Oh, yeah, that felt really familiar. Oh, yeah, that really reminded me of that time with my family, you know. And then the more and more you practice that noticing awareness, you get closer and closer to noticing it in the moment and having those moments of awareness in the midst of the feeling. But that takes time and practice. I really love how you talk about that, that it's so important to just practice, practice, practice. Right? Because instead of hating those moments of, oh, oh my gosh, I just completely unraveled and I hate myself and I hate that this just happened. It's that opportunity of growth, that opportunity for growth. So leaning into it and it's our friend in a weird way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I so agree with you. And I think, you know, it's hard to do this heavy work that our children call us to when they hold up that mirror, but it's good work. It's healing work. And it doesn't just heal us. It heals our lineage, right? So this is where intergenerational healing happens, you know? Yes. Yeah. So my mom was fairly emotionally unavailable to me, particularly around like hard negative emotions. She was okay with softer negative emotions some of the time, you know, like crying and tears, you know, sometimes she was okay with that. But most of the time it was a don't have those feelings. Those feelings aren't safe or good or worth anything that doesn't they're unhelpful. It's unhelpful to feel your feelings. You know, she grew up in a home with a wonderful dad, but who also drank. And when he drank, was scary and angry. You know, and of course, it makes sense that she was the way that she was, that she raised me the way that she raised me. It makes complete sense, you know? And it makes sense that when my daughters do the things that I did that got me in trouble or got me dismissed, that it makes me want to shut them down. It makes sense. It just makes sense. And then there's the choosing of something new, something different, right? And that's what we're all doing here. Right. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for this conversation. Was there anything else that was on your heart that you wanted, want the parents listening to this to know? You know, I was just thinking too about throughout my years, I hated my mother. I hated her, you know, because I had just developed so much anger and, and fear around her. But I remember wanting to want to forgive. I didn't want to, but I wanted to want to. Yeah. And it was the oddest thing because shortly after that, there was a knock on my door. I was pregnant with my second daughter and my father wasn't one of domestic violence, but this day he did. She had gotten up the night before and he jumped her and pinned her down and hurt her. And so she was coming to my house looking for a place to stay. I remember looking at her at the door and I have to let her in. This is my opportunity to let her in. And because I was in my, not quite my second trimester, I was still wearing like bigger clothes. She could fit everything I had. And because I was expecting a second child, I now had a bed. So Mm -hmm. that not just a crib, but now I had a bed. So I had a bed, I had clothes, I had everything to give her. And my mom's always been a napper. And, And when I would see her nap, she would nap on the couch and I would watch her. And I could see her body straining from the hurt, from the, from the pain of getting beat up. And I had these voices of stories that she would tell me that just came into my mind. Like I was hit for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Hmm. 
if I brought food to my father and the food was cold, I'd get hit for that. And all these things came to my mind. It was just so easy in that moment to forgive her. Because mm. growing up, she would demand to me, why can't you forgive me? Why can't you? And it was because she never asked. You know, she never asked. She demanded it. Mm. So fast forward. Now I'm 40 and I'm there's a knock on my door and it's my mother. And she comes in and she looks really nervous. And standing next to me is that daughter that I was pregnant with. And my mom asked, could you ask her to leave? And she says to me, I was at a retreat this weekend. And the nun said to me, I had to ask you for forgiveness. So maybe it never occurred to her. Because it was so easy for her to forgive her past, probably never occurred to her. Wow. So she asked me, why was I so mean to you? Why was I so mean to you? And because I had done my work, I said to her, because you did what was done to you. Mm-hmm. And she said, that's right. That's right. That was her moment of course. Of course. Yes. Of course. I what was done to me. And it was such a beautiful moment because she was asking me for forgiveness. But I felt as though I was giving her an opportunity to forgive herself. Mm. And so, you know, sometimes we don't have that yet, or our mothers have passed on. But there's a possibility of something so beautiful where we can let them off the hook and let ourselves off the hook. And we can just sit with that forgiveness and love and a place of love. And that's what happened with me. That's so beautifully put. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Oh my gosh. And it's making me think about all the people who are listening right now who think it's never going to happen. I'm never going to have that conversation with my parent, maybe because they've passed away by now or just because they're not capable of that level of self-reflection. I do think that forgiveness is not for the person you're forgiving. Forgiveness is for you so that you don't have to be burdened with it anymore. But I'm so grateful that you were able to have that interaction with your mom. I'm so grateful that you were able to have that. And I hope that everybody listening is able to unburden themselves and forgive themselves and forgive and let go of what they need to. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Wow. (laughs) This was a great conversation. I so appreciate you sharing so openly with us. Thank you so much for being here with us and sharing your wisdom and your heart. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. It's such a great partnership to to do the work with you. Wherever you are in the world, to be able to partner with you and and share this love and this passion for women, it's really a joy and a privilege. I'm so glad to have wonderful colleagues and partners, all of, you know, my listening community. Just, we're all so lucky to be alive in this time and doing this work together. I I so appreciate it. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right, that's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, 
Balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.